This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. Well, Dylan Marin is my guest on the show today. He has a podcast that's called Conversations with People Who Hate Me. That's a huge monster hit. And now that podcast has become a book. Uh, It's a beautiful book about all the things that he learned making that podcast. And and I got to say, I like was very nervous to interview Dylan because his podcast is like terrifying to me. But we, I think we had a great chat, and I um, I love feeling like I am so excited to be friends with him, which is what I proposed during the show. Hey, speaking of proposals, I propose that you see me on April 16th in Lawrence, Kansas at the Free State Festival, or on May, let me get the date, 28th in Vancouver for Just for Laughs Vancouver, or... And this is brand new, brand, brand new. If you live in Los Angeles on May 6th, I will be part of the Netflix Comedy Festival playing Dynasty Typewriters. So I've got a show in Lawrence, Kansas. I've got a show in Vancouver. I've got a show in LA. And that's it, actually, for now. So hopefully you live in one of those places. Oh, also, (laughs) I, just this past week, released the paperback version of my book, Save Yourself. So excited to be able to release it and to have all of the support that you gave that book when it first came out. If you didn't have a chance to buy it, um, it was a bestseller. And now it's available in paperback, so it's even more affordable. It's got a great new cover, and it's also an audiobook. Please, I would say, visit your local indie bookseller and buy that book today. Save yourself. Okay, enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Hi, good good morning. Hi, <laughs> good morning. Well, you live in New York, right? I live in I live in New York, but I wanted to join you in the morning experience because <laughs> I was just going to yes and whatever you said. Yes. Well, and I was attempting to acknowledge yeah. the reality of your time zone. So, and I love acknowledging the reality of time, and I thank you for that. So. <laughs> uh, would you introduce yourself? I always have folks introduce themselves on the show. Yes, I'm familiar with this podcast. I love this podcast. Cute. So Cute. my name is Dylan Marin. I um, host the podcast Conversations with People Who Hate Me, um, in which I do exactly what the title suggests I do. And I also am the upcoming or recent, depending on when you're listening to this, author of the book, also titled Conversations with People Who Hate Me. Yeah, that's such a great, I think it's next week, so I, and I have it right here, so that comes out oh. on the 29th. Oh, so we've got an arc. This is, ah, we got to get yes. you a hardcover as well, so we got to get you every edition, so this is happening. Well, that's, that's true. The, actually, I will say the number of books that I own every edition because of this job that I do yeah. called this podcast, it's very funny. Um, but Oh, yeah. You know, like someday there's going to be a queer library that I donate all yeah, of those to. And all it's of the important to have the full yeah. compendium. Um, it's vital. You have to have the arcs. You have to have every draft. You have to absolutely. figure out which typos were fixed for <laughs> the publication of the hardcover. So I get it. Um, but I read your book, Conversations with People Who Hate Me, is also what it's called. It's the, the book <laughs> and also it is the name of the podcast. Heavily um, branded. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I read it over the weekend. And I got to say, like... I I don't want this job that you gave yourself. <laughs> I respect that and I support that 100%. I think a lot of my friends would agree with you. So, yeah. That's in the book. It do, that mm-hmm. is in the book that many of your friends would. So can you talk to me a little bit about, for folks that haven't read it yet or haven't listened to the podcast, yeah. can you, it's pretty self-explanatory via the title, but I do think, um, you know, many people can hate us, but who specifically yeah. are we talking about and where did you source those folks? Because I think that's important. What a terrific 
question. Yeah. So let me give you the quickest uh, backstory. Um, I started making work on the internet, if you've heard of it. Um, <laughs> but I started by... So the, the first big thing I did on my own, I was first cast in a show called Welcome to Night Vale, and I I toured around the country with them, and it was very exciting. And Also, then, wait, hang on. I just want to yes. just jump in here for a second. Before that, you were a neo-futurist before yes. that, right? Yes, yes, and yes. So, and I, I'm from Chicago, so oh my God. I am super aware of the neo-futurists. Yeah. And then also I played one in oh. a movie that is called oh my God. Operator, where they oh. use the neo-futurarium, Fut- Futurarium, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I had seen a show, I had seen shows there before when I lived there. And then when I did the movie, I went and it was shot at the place and I played a new, a new futurist. So I know what you're talking about. I need to see this film operator. Yeah, I'm you should do see this film. Right it's, after. Uh, I'm actually canceling this interview. I'm totally. It's, <laughs> Ma- it's Mae Whitman and, um, Martin Starr, star in it. Wow. Great. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I'm there right after this. Okay, great. Um, Afternoon plans canceled. Um, so I, bu, 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 yeah. So well, I'm I'm glad. No, I'm I'm actually glad you brought that up because the story truly starts there. Um, I was a member of the neo futurists. It was there that I met Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner, who are the creators, writers of Welcome to Night Vale, and um, I wanted. Well, I I was so fascinated that I saw my friends who I found to be and find to be present tense, incredibly talented, amazing. They made a thing on the internet and it blew up. And this is, you know, 2012, 2013, when this is a novel concept (laughs) where you can make something and it can blow up and, and then it becomes this thing that you then sell out theaters for people to come see. And I saw that like, a community was being formed through a podcast. I saw that an audience was being formed through a podcast. So I think it planted a seed in my head that this this internet thing was all, was real, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a really potent way to make work as an independent artist, to be specific. And... Um, but you know, in Welcome to Night Vale, I was I was uh, an actor on tour, and so I felt like I was part of a thing that wasn't my thing. And I realized, like, I wanted to use this thing. Um, I, I realize I sound like I'm 500 years old when I talk about <laughs> the internet this way, and maybe no, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's just acknowledging that um, just a decade ago, it was a different situation in terms of so different. Well, now, now, I mean, this is we're rebuilding the same systems again and again. Like once large companies find out there's money to be made in different areas, they're going to like find a way to sort of build that up and turn it into a different thing. But there was a bit of a gap between when social media launched and when everything had a more professional and monetized version where like stuff was a little wild for the for a moment. And this is the time that you're talking about this like wild in between time. This wild, wild, wild west um, in between time of feeling like the internet was a place of possibility and it hadn't fully been corporatized yet. I think that's a really important thing to point out. And and this this podcast that I saw my friends make on Google Docs and, you know, microphones that you can buy for $40 on Amazon and just recorded in closets is, you know, and here we are still recording in a closet. Um, but it, it just felt um, just so full of possibility and promise. And I, I, at the same time, though, I felt like I was so lucky to be on board for this project that they had created when the truth is I... I saw this thing was so fertile with possibility for for independent art, but I was I was a guest essentially. You know, I was I was an artist traveling with other artists doing their thing, and um, I wanted to make my own stuff. And and something I had been experiencing, and and at the time I was identifying as an actor, writer, performer because of the neo futurists, but kind of that was the last like era of me as an actor. And I was going on like regular meetings with agents and and no one was really interested in signing me. And this was a regular thing that I had been experiencing all my life um, of, of, of people praising my talent, but then telling me that I was unlikely to get work. So I filtered that into a project called Every Single Word, uh, where I edited down popular films to only the words spoken by people of color as a way to 
empirically, in a fact-based but also digestible way, uh, talk about the lack of representation on screen. I'm, I'm really soaring ahead here um, <laughs> through my uh, through my history, just so we can, you know, not get, we can get out of my resume as fast as possible. From there, I knew that I wanted to continue making. Um, talking about really complicated, complex issues and and talking about it in bite-sized, accessible ways that were shareable online. That was a really important thing to me. Um, so I started an interview series. This is while working at a place called Seriously.tv. I started an interview series called Sitting in Bathrooms with Trans People uh, in, in response to the transphobic bathroom bills that were um, creeping up around the United States. And I wanted to humanize the folks at the center of the issue. Um, my work continued to get popular at Seriously.tv. And with the rise of popularity of my work, um, you know, you also get detractors. And that is how the podcast Conversations with People Who Hate Me was born. <laughs> I was curious to talk to the people behind the hate comments. Right. You got comments and then like some direct messages also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got it, it was everything. It was kind of uh, coming in by by ship, by by air. What's the term? By ship, by air, by sea, by something. <laughs> Insert the right thing. There. I don't know. I don't know that one. But okay, like, great. Well, then I made the, it up. Yeah, no, it's, I, good. it's probably that's got to be something because um, it is something. all the ways things could go all the ways by train. Yeah. Or by train, by another plane, one, truckers, planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, and that's exactly that. what it is. Yeah, the classic movie. Well, I have had this experience. Um, yeah. You know, I think, yeah, definitely. You know, um, I can't, I don't have an experience. That's not totally true. When I started doing improv in college and then after college, it mm. was sort of a pre-internet time. And then also when you're doing improv, you're like, a penguin or like a banana, you know, it, it's like, it's not so own voice, um, yeah. POV driven. And, um, I sort of stopped doing improv partially because I found stand up, but also because I was like really tired of like, yes, ending, you know, yeah. blowjob scenes or like stuff I really <laughs> didn't want to be a part of. And, yeah. um, shocking. Yeah. Yeah. So I, was doing improv professionally and I don't know, like maybe people had shitty stuff to say about me, but it was not something that was, that was part of, you couldn't necessarily get my attention about it. But yeah. then once I started doing standup, it was very much, you know, YouTube, Twitter, 2006. I think I started doing standup in 2005 or 2006. So huh. it's, it was the same time. Yeah. And that's also yeah. when like sort of the first podcasts were kicking off there were yeah. they were literally called internet radio shows <laughs> at the time they were and i love podcasts. i love this internet radio show that we're on right now yeah it's this so internet fun. radio yeah. show is amazing um and even when i was an open micer my first experiences were very positive responses from the room or like the kind of response that would encourage one to keep coming back and trying it even though like i mean from an open mic nobody's killing it N nobody's yeah. killing it as an open micer but if you're like oh this something's happening here that's positive oh totally, i think totally people come back right so that that was the experience at the same time i was immediately getting um yeah in like internet hate literally right away yeah like when i was an open micer like at a time where it's like just don't even look at this person like there's nothing there's no power here and you were posting your sets to YouTube? Is this where it was coming? No, I was not. Um, there was there was a popular, in Chicago anyway, internet radio show that was run by a comic who would have, this is a real thing. This is so, this is so fucking, I think this is part of why when I read this book, I was like, no, like, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. it's like so visceral, you have a visceral for me. Yeah. Because, um, no, there was a guy who ran an, an internet radio show and he would have comics on his guests. And one thing that they would talk about was literally like this, like me, like the sets I was doing. Um, mm. I only know this because then people would tell me, which is weird. Um, and then eventually when I did things like released an album and then released a second album, my second album, which did really well and mm. was like an album of the year by Consequence of Sound, like it was a little, it was an elevated amount of visibility 
that guy organized his fans and they left um 200 one star iTunes reviews mm, yeah that just only said we get it you're gay and you can't leave zero stars it was the lowest rating they could give yeah 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 so and also like kind of nobody was like reviewing stuff on iTunes so it was like a very successful album but yeah. if you clicked on it at the time and yeah it's bombed um this has now been like how Apple eventually ended up dealing with this is that they just deleted all of the reviews on that yeah. album but yeah. so there's no record of this but I had to like call my label um to say what do you like what does one do about this um and so anyway i feel like the stuff that you were getting and it and it was stuff like that was happening but also messages and yeah um homophobic messages just like homophobic yours. messages yeah i i feel like i've gotten a lot of this stuff so i know i had like a a pretty clear understanding of what you were talking about yeah i think I think to just acknowledge the difficulty of the specific situation you were in um, and to also like begin this language we are building as a species about types of hate online is that, you know, a lot of the hate I was receiving, people might have heard about it from an influencer, right? Like a conservative influencer, or a homophobic influencer who pointed people to my stuff. But I still felt like I was ultimately getting individual people coming to me to express this stuff. I think oh, the that's really, really interesting. Yeah. And I think the really dangerous thing that was happening with you is that there was a community being formed around the hatred against you. Wow. Which yeah. is just to say that there were not to get sociological about it, but there were community bonds being formed by signaling to people that they were taking part in this thing that their brethren were taking part in, too. Wow, that's so interesting. What an interesting um, point. I've literally never thought of that before. But yeah, I mean, I really want to have this conversation because I'd love to know how you deal with this and how mm. you approach this. So I'll say it's like, you know, it's however many years later from that happening and that type of thing happening. And right now I'm on um, an ABC television show, like a drama. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the people that are watching are like not, it's not like comedy nerds. It's like whoever, yeah, watches, an ABC, whoever yeah. watches an ABC drama. And um, tons of amazing and positive responses, and especially from people that would know me. But then it's also whenever, I find whenever I break a, a bubble of people who have context for me there then that's where i like see this other stuff that is has always been a part of my life it's just like now on the internet where mm -hmm. that's where the comments are that are like why is this like what like literally like this is a man or like or like this person's unattractive or um you know body stuff like whatever literally like you know you can think yeah. of all the comments and um and i think it's hard i will just say it, it's hard and i and I don't have this. I think I've, I feel like so much of my life has been attempting to go where it's warm and mm. get support and love yeah. that the idea of showing up for a conversation, it just feels too exhausting to me. Yeah. And I, I totally get that. And I think a, an important thing that I had to learn in the process was that I need to not only leave space for that take on my project, but I need to actively endorse the fact that it, that that is also a legitimate response to getting hate online. You know, I've, I've distilled this to a talking point, so forgive me for like repeating something, but like I, I've tried to make it very clear, like I love doing this, but this is not a mandate. This is not a prescription for activism because I'm also really aware that my work can then be used as this kind of like that I then get to be used as this unwitting poster child for civility, which and, right. and you know, the word civility, which I think is actually way more complicated than we talk about it in the public square, um, even more complicated than us progressive lefties talk about it in the public square is like. Yeah, of course I believe in civility, but so often that word is used in a kind of like um, completely 
insensitive way to ask people who are marginalized to quiet down, right? And it 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 allows people to ignore why some people might not feel that they have the option to be civil. That being said, we shouldn't throw civility out because some people are false are unfairly accused of being uncivil, right? Like I think we we have the we all have the brain space to hold these multiple ideas at the same time. And so and and to kind of say that in less of an academic way, like I really believe in conversation and I really believe in conversation across the divide and I think it's really important to share here like now the majority of my podcast episodes are not this caricaturistic like right versus left conversation. A lot of times the fault lines I'm most interested in now are among people who agree on most things ideologically and yet these really tremendous fault lines have grown between them that were caused that were cracked open and then opened even further by these, you know, by the digital sphere that we engage in that that rewards negativity that upvotes the pithiest take um where where the most flattened takedowns are what get upvoted the most um but i think you know i believe in conversation um i love doing it and yet it is absolutely legit to not have the energy for these conversations and Everyone has a different coping mechanism. This is my coping mechanism. Like, I, you know, people often say, like, God, you must be so exhausted from making this podcast. And I am exhausted from making this podcast, but it's never how people think I'm getting exhausted. The conversations themselves are what, like, give me hope for humanity. It's like, oh, this person who came at me with this really, really hateful thing, whether it is homophobia from the right or some, some really vitriolic thing from my political opposite or some really vitriolic thing that was wielded against me uh, in, in jockeying for likes on Twitter. You know, like, either way, the fact that I can, the fact that we, human beings, have the ability to transform that into the beginning of a relationship, the healing of a relationship, the rehabilitation of a relationship, um, it feels restorative. You know, um, some people, and I'll, I'll at least say it's people who practice restorative justice, trained restorative justice practitioners have identified this as like um, digital restorative justice. And that's what I believe in. But that should never be a mandate. And so I think if someone were to to listen to your story, right, about the um, internet radio show host who um, was sending people after you, is like, that's a that would be completely unfair to put that on you because I also recognize it's overwhelming. And so what's the answer? Is that when, when you're re the recipient of a hate campaign or a wave of hate that is not from a campaign, that you should literally stop everything and dedicate five years of your life to making a podcast or doing a project <laughs> where you where you talk to people and then moderate conversations between people like it's completely unsustainable this is what i feel well suited to do no one else needs to feel well suited to do this First of all, you are, I really like you. <laughs> oh my God, I, it's such a mutual feeling. <laughs> I really like you. And I really like what you have to say. And it's giving me so much clarity because I think I was realizing as you're talking that like, I do think that we believe in the same thing. And I actually think I do a lot of the same stuff. It's just like in such a different way, you know? Totally. I think for me, when I'm, I'm just like hearing your context about what it feels like for you. It's like, for me, if I like show up at a um, wardrobe fitting or if I'm going shopping for the clothes mm. that I want to wear in my like private life, mm. that is scary. Like, because there's going to be a moment where I'm going to like kind of disclose where like I'm going to be in the men's section of the department store that I'm in or um, where I'm going to disclose to the person who's helping me with clothes that like, 
um, like sometimes I wear women's stuff, but like a lot of time I wear men's stuff and like, this mm. is my sizing in that. Like it's, it feels, um, like it's always an opportunity for someone to sort of like join me in mm. understanding what this means, or it's an opportunity for that to be like really rejected. And I think sometimes just being who I, I'm not trying to oversell impact, but more so just talk about feelings. Like sometimes yeah. just being who I am in an authentic way actually feels like showing up for a conversation because people yeah. have a lot of questions and some of those are yielded through the internet. Sometimes they're like said to my face. And I do feel like maybe the reason that when I was reading you talking about this work, I was like, I don't think I can do that. I think it's like, cause I, I'm actually already spending a fair amount of my time doing yeah. that. Um, and so I love that the way you're approaching it is this way. And I love that you're saying it really is. It's like, yeah, everybody should do to their skill set or like totally. to their experience, you know, the thing that the, the, <laughs> that allows that person to go to bed the easiest, <laughs> you know, like with like the least churning in the brain. That is a perfect distillation <laughs> of it. I think that is exactly what should happen. I also think you just said something so beautiful about like this this idea that by showing up that you are starting a conversation. And I think that's absolutely true by like entering a space and shopping for clothes. Um, this is true for you, according to what you just said. And I think a lot of queer people like you are starting a conversation. I am here. I deserve to be here. I will be here. I will be a customer. Maybe, um, you know, if you're lucky, um, that's in the more capitalistic understanding of that, you know, in, in, <laughs> totally. in the less capitalistic understanding or corporate understanding, um, or, interpretation. It's it's just about showing up in a space. And I, you're bringing something up, which is like, you know, I have these difficult conversations mostly about internet disagreements, mostly about digital disagreements. I have also been the recipient of homophobic hate in person. This does not mean I'm like, hmm, that guy who's menacing me, let's have a talk. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't feel safe enough right. to engage a man who's punching his fist into his open palm on the subway and staring at me, muttering faggot under his breath. I'm not like, sir, Um, I would really love to get to know you. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I am, my work, my work in this started because I felt really comfortable with the physical distance that was between me and my guests and that was a safe way for me to explore the enormous gulf between us ideologically mm -hmm. or not gulf between us ideologically, but gulf between how much they like me, you know, like. we. That's yeah. very interesting. I really I think that's very interesting what you're saying there, too, because I think physical the feelings, feelings of physical unsafety. Um, I just really appreciate you pointing out that distinction and, and the, because that's, that is also, I mean, what you're describing is a lot of, I think, why stand-up initially drew my interest is because, like, you know, I've talked about this so many times on the podcast, so, so sorry to listeners, but no, it's, it's that. it's fresh, it's fresh. But it's that thing of, like, this is truly, like, the safest way for me to be seen. It's so public, like, there's all these witnesses Somebody's yeah. going to potentially kick you out of this yeah. bar if you yell back at me. You know, yeah. I get to like say what I'm going to say. And, you know, even if it's an open mic and it's like just for three minutes, it's like that's three unanswered minutes. And so for yeah. anybody who might feel overly patrolled or have a feeling of physical unsafety, it's it's um, getting a chance to really own that space and especially hosting a podcast where you're the you're the person inviting. Mm -hmm. That's such a it's such a powerful position to be in, even if then you're somebody who's going to be open and, and deferential. Like, I really love that for you as somebody, mm. you know, thinking about this experience on the subway and then thinking about, you know, the healing opposite of that, where it's like, you might, you might on a different day be that subway guy, but today, like you're actually a guest in my house. And by the way, that house is on the internet. So you can't punch me in the yeah. face. Like, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, and I, I think to to talk about this subway man who I was about to say is hypothetical, but that was actually narrated from a real experience. But to to talk about 
the idea of a conversation with that person, you know, there are ways to create distance from a person who has threatened you physically. And sometimes that's just time. Like, this man and I will never see each other again or or the many countless others who have, you know, it, made homophobic gestures or intimations at me in public. Um, I don't know if I used that word correctly, but let's pretend I did. It sounded um, really right. It sounded really good. It and sounded if I didn't, right. let us all move on from it and just it be like, It sounded really right. Keep intimations. Going. Okay, yeah. go off, Queen. Um, but I... So, so if that man came up to me now and were like, hey, you don't remember... This is obviously never going to happen because we are strangers to each other. But if this man, and unlike the internet, there's no record of this happening. Um, but if that man came up to me and he was like, hey, five years ago, I did that thing to you. And I just want to let you know, like, even if he weren't like, I'm so sorry, I want to express this to you. And he were like, oh, I just want to let you know, I wouldn't do that again today. I'd be like, I would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. But in the moment of me in my present tense body then and him in his present tense body then i'm i'm not i don't feel physically safe to approach this person who is punching his fist i will want say once again punching his fist into an, his open palm staring at me muttering the word faggot i don't feel comfortable being like let me get in your physical space and invite you into mine so yeah have you had this? I'm just realizing this is also so weird, but I have you had this experience where somebody has, from your own life, reached out to you across time and apologized or like collected their wrongs outside of you being the person doing the outreach? Um, you know, it's funny. I when I started getting like a bigger profile online, I I think I just like posted once about being bullied in high school. And I, I think my tweet was something to the effect of, oh, I, I remember it almost verbatim. My high school reunion was coming up. And I was like, um, my high school reunion is coming up um, uh, where I'm going to like reconnect with all the people who s spread rumors that I was gay and I'm going to bring my husband to sh to prove them so fucking right or something. <laughs> And um, <laughs> I I posted that, and then this really, really sweet guy from high school who was, like, friends with the boys who had power, um, but he was not by any—he was sweet then, is sweet now, continues to be sweet. He reached out to me, and he was like, hey, I saw your post on bullying. I just wanted— to apologize if I was ever part of anything. And it's like, well, of course, it's the person who had nothing to do with me <laughs> feeling tiny. Um, I mean, there, there are a few people from that era of my life um, who really hurt me. Um, yeah. And they have not reached out. Um, so, yeah. Obviously, like you said, it's not the you know, right person. Um, but did it, what did it, did it mean something to you to have someone else have seen it? Like it, like that, what I hear in that is even if that's not the source, it's like a witness. I don't know if that is, yeah. it's not the right, it's not like the number one most relief, but it sounds validating. You know, I, you're absolutely right. And I think, and I don't know if this sounds sad or not, but I always had witnesses. Like, there mm -hmm. were people who knew what was happening then. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these were my friends who understood that the people who were making fun of me had so much social power that they really couldn't do anything about it. Obviously, this feels ridiculous and funny to talk about now as we're adults and that social power has no bearing over me anymore. Right. And so many of the people who treated me so tiny in middle school and high school are now asking to get, like, coffee with me, <laughs> you know, Perfect. like, um, and, and again, those aren't the the bullies that I was referring to that I'm waiting for the apology from. It's just the kind of people who made me feel small, you know, and are, yeah. are now like, love what you're doing. <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> and oh, I'm God. like, okay, well, I wish, I wish that happened then. Um, but I think, like, I, I, I did have a lot of witnesses and I had friends and, and, you know, I, I think the, um, especially when you're a gay 
man, a gay boy who is very effeminate, as I was and am, um, you know, you have a lot of girlfriends. Um, I had a lot of girlfriends. This is a common, this is a common gay experience, not the one gay experience, um, but but a common one. And so I had a lot of girls who saw this kind of stuff. And sometimes they mm. would stick up for me. Um, and so I have no shortage of witnesses. But I, I think it, it at least felt nice that a person who had never expressed that to me had expressed it to me. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Have yeah. You, what was your middle school, high school experience like in terms of bullying? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so confusing to me because I think women mm. and their parents <laughs> were actually always, not always, but regularly pretty awful to me um, huh. because I, there was like something going on that just we, none of us could express that just made me different. And I think people just really wanted me to like get in line, like, like get it together and just get yeah. between the lines. Yeah. Um, so like when I was a kid, but it, it's confusing because they were my best friends. Like that's, what's confusing about it. It wasn't like a group of other people. Um, I mean, there was a guy, one guy who was shitty to me in high school, but he was my boyfriend's best friend. But anyway, I say all of that yeah. to say, generally, like, men weren't terrible to me. I, like, dated a lot of, I had a lot of, like, boyfriends who had yeah. social clout um, because uh -huh. they were athletes. Okay, or, brag. Like, yeah, go well, off. I mean, that, by the way, if you're, if you are a, like, moderately butch, like, odd woman mm, and mm. you're trying to figure out, like, um, how am I going to survive high school? May I recommend... Yeah. Dating the captain of the football team because Love. nobody will fuck with you. Like nobody yeah. will fuck with you. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really realize that that's what I was doing. But my best friends were so shitty to me, like very, very regularly. Um, and I think that that is something that I've had to work through and on as an adult is because like mm. then I'm just kind of used to friends being yeah. crappy. And I, yeah. I only realized a couple years ago, like, Oh, that's not the, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Doesn't have to be the vibe. I also think I was really, really scared of women um, and like way less scared of men, especially straight men. Um, straight men, like, I, I know this is so weird, but straight men have sort of fucked with me the least of any people. Like, and also the guy that I'm talking about leading that campaign, like that's a straight guy. So it's, it's a weird combination. Um, maybe it's also that like, Maybe I have less invested in those relationships. Like, I'm hmm. not going to be probably in love with a cis straight dude. And so it's like I can kind of keep a hmm. mm, like a silly distance if oh, that yeah, person totally. says anything where I'm just like, ah, yeah. we're all doing the best we can. But like, it's heartbreaking, yeah. you know, coming from like a, a woman, especially a woman that I had feelings for before I realized that that's what that was. Um, like I'm even thinking about what you were saying. I, I had the weirdest thing happen that I think I've talked about on this show, but maybe not where like a comic who is, who I was like friends with, I would have considered him a friend, but he was such a dick to me. He was such a dick. And he was part of this whole like bullying thing. He wrote me an email apologizing just out of the blue. Whoa. He's like still very successful person. Whoa. Still, whatever. He wrote me an email apologizing, owning all of the shit that he did. I mean, there the last conversation we had had before that was me screaming at him that he oh, yeah. was like, like, just leave me alone kind of a thing. Yeah. And then I didn't hear yeah. from him for years, but I would run into him sometimes at places. And then he wrote me an email apologizing. And then this is where I was at. I didn't respond to that email for six years. Wow! But Go a couple you. months ago, you, I you said it's time. I like re I like responded and was just wow. like, "Hey, this means a lot to me, and I wish you the best." That's actually yeah. that's actually when I felt that way. Like yeah. it's like I responded. You it waited take a long felt, time. Yeah, I waited, and then I responded when I felt like I like hope I do see him. Like I really yeah. I care about him and. I do wish him the best, and then that's when I responded to the email. Yeah. Well, it passed through your system. 
You know, that's exactly right. Like yeah, no yeah. longer this core thing that was part of you. You you didn't need to process it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, and this is not to bring it back to my project, but what I can relate to in that is like, you know, there is this unspoken undercurrent theme of my work, my show, my book, you know, pick your media, um, which is forgiveness. And for me, forgiveness is one of those things that everyone has to define on their own terms. I can't tell you who you should forgive. You have to figure out when you're ready to forgive someone who hurt you. But for me, them coming on the show, them coming into the space of a conversation, and even if they're not going to own up even if they're not going to radically change their minds, which, by the way, I have I, I've tried to express through this five-year project, is not possible. You, you cannot radically change someone's mind in the course of a single one-hour phone call. Yes. Um, but e when they don't change their minds, I still immediately forgive them internally when they come on to simply acknowledge that they wrote me something, right? And it's like, because for me that was what I needed to move on. You wrote this thing. Tell me why you wrote it. Tell me who you are. Tell me what it is about you, what it is about your life that caused you to think that that was a good thing to send to me. And then we have a conversation. I am released. I am fully released. Going back to your experience, high school experience, mm. these folks who were the bullies, were mm. those men? Yeah. Like straight, straight dudes? I was going to, I was going to say that I, exactly what you described, I had, if we're existing in the gender binary, which of course we shouldn't, but uh, at the time, that's how you see the world, um, or in our era. Um, yeah, it was, it was the opposite. Yeah, I thought I saw that in your face as we were talking and um, yeah. or as I, was, as I was talking in. So that's interesting to me also because I know I've been on the Internet before and oh, it, okay. those Welcome. are the um, in my experience, the loudest shit <laughs> writers, <laughs> um, you know, like I'm imagining just in terms of a sheer numbers thing that and by the way, it's, it doesn't mean that that's like everybody, but I just feel like. That's probably that's a demo I've heard from the yeah. most. So I'm, yeah. I'm imagining that might be the demo you're hearing from the most in this like shut up forever kind of a message. Is that true or not true? Um, you know, I think I've 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 tackled this question before and I always want to couch it with the heaviest caveat that this is anecdotal, right? Like I'm totally. talking about dozens of people that I've talked to who are in yeah. my inbox and then the people I've moderated for. Um, I will say, yes, in terms of, again, the anecdotal small sample size that I have, most are men. But I think it gets... Um, the reason I'm hesitant to share that statistic is I think it diminishes how painful it can be to hear this stuff from people you don't expect it from. You know, sure. like... I think some of my, I, I've I've made some incredible moderated episodes, and the incredible part was not a compliment to myself, but a compliment to, to my guests and the conversation they had. But I, I've made some really fascinating um, moderated conversations, or or been lucky enough to host some really amazing moderated conversations between two women, you know, um, and who no one is no one is spared from this really i think disastrous thing that communicating online is doing to us which is the dehumanization of other people the feeling that we can say whatever we want to another person face no accountability for it and move on with our lives without facing the consequences that that person is dealing with from the thing we said to slash about them. And right. of course, I mean, there's caveats littered throughout this conversation, but 
I have to, of course, say that like I'm not talking about constructive criticism. I'm not talking about necessary criticism. And I'm not talking about, um, again, um, people who feel oppressed, who are expressing themselves and have no other choice than to express their anger. I do actually think that's really important to say because I think that the stuff that we're talking about is often conflated with like cancel culture as if mm -hmm. they're as if um getting a barrage of homophobic tweets is the same as getting a barrage of tweets that have just called that have just said why are you so homophobic you know like totally. i just think i think like a reaction to a dave Chappelle special is not the ooh, the garbage truck is going to be outside of my house and it's going to make so much noise but it's going to just only exist for mm, 30 Listen. seconds I love that. Let's celebrate it. Let's credit it as a guest on this <laughs> yeah, episode because I I've, I just want to say I have been dealing with sound all day. I typically record <laughs> in my closet, my 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 closet on a different in a different room um, because that's the quietest spot. And they said uh, a, a bunch of lovely gentlemen said, you know what? Today's the day we're going to start construction right outside that window. Oh, good. And so I was oh, like, okay, I'm going to so move nice. here. And now, but there's, I have a sound blanket up. I have a whole uh -huh. C stand, but there is a street um, beyond the sound blanket. So Jordan and Matt, I apologize for uh, whatever the sounds my mic may have picked up. Absolutely. Hey, look at this home studio situation. Yeah, you know honey, what I mean? we got a home the studio. garbage truck rolls we right love her through. <laughs> well, we celebrate I, and, her. So I anyway, I want to I love I love that distinction because I agree. I think it's really important to get like constructive and helpful feedback that that pre that pre prevents that helps us to stop making egregious wrongs. That's mm. rad. I'm into that. Um, but there's there's like a loop I want to close here, which is that it's just interesting to me in thinking about you as a person clearly having had a couple different projects that like all have you know gotten visibility and success and i think with this most recent one with with conversations it's just like i'm so glad that i sort of asked this question and then got to know you just a little bit better because i think it's making a lot of sense to me that in what you just said about the person showing up it's like asking somebody if they will see you if they will mm. face you yeah. Does seem like the opposite of being horrifically bullied at a yeah. time when that person probably got some like status or clout or like just didn't just like got to get on with their day to sort yeah. of it's like the idea of <laughs> after school instead of like meet me at the bike rack to like beat each other up. If it's like meet me at the bike rack to just like look into my eyes for mm -hmm. five minutes, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. that, that thing. Um, I just, I guess I feel as one internet stranger to another, I, I think I just feel happy for you that mm -hmm. you set up a situation for yourself where in a safe way and yeah. a way that you're rewarded for and that you like get to do as a job, you might be having a chance to sort of reorient yourself to that feeling of somebody's being a shithead to me. Yeah, thank you. I I really appreciate that. And I also think um I I think the other important thing to say and and as you've heard throughout this whole interview, I am very down to share all the caveats. I am very down to rebuff <laughs> um the poster child for civility compliments that I may get. Um and so I'm 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 quick to call myself out for uh what this project can't achieve and how personal it is. But I think I would be remiss to not mention that I have been blown away and also surprised by the response that this podcast has in other people. And and I I want to be super clear here this is not like a pitch of like testimonials of how much people love the show. What I'm trying to say instead of a like testimonial roundup is to say that, you know, I I get a lot of emails from young queer kids who recognize the conversation they hear, conversations they hear on the podcast as conversations they're having at home. And if I am presenting 
an avatar to people who are having difficult conversations of their own. That's all I can hope for. And I think one thing that I am proud of, and I I, want to be as humble about this as possible, is that there are, and this is just according to emails I've gotten, messages I get. Um, <laughs> another caveat. Okay, done with caveats. Done with caveats. But one thing I know is that a lot of different people are coming to the table for this show. And I have some conservative listeners, and I have people who have tweeted or shared with me privately that it has changed their behavior online, that they rethink who they speak to and how they speak to them. Um, You know, what we're essentially doing in all of media is creating avatars for our audience. And in this show, my hope is to create avatars for both people who are part of the conversation. Because there are going to be some people, and I know there are, who listen to my show and ideologically feel more aligned with the conservative person who said something homophobic to me. And when we are trying to march march towards this great tomorrow, the future, progress, I, and I know this is an incredibly unpopular point right now, but like, while there are so many of us who we depend on to lead the charge, to forge ahead, to be building bonds within their own communities, to march towards the future. I think there are some of us who are needed to create a safe space for people who are more hesitant to march into that great future, this great progressive future. And I have to say, I found that I feel well-suited to be the person who is creating a safe space for the people who are a little hesitant to march there. And I like doing that. And I'm not saying everyone has to do that. But I am saying that if you feel compelled to do it, I hope that this show, that my project, offers a glimpse of how amazing that feeling can be. Wow. Well, that's beautiful. And I'm happy that you have found something that makes you feel like that. I mean, that's, oh. that's wonderful. And thank you. You know, I, th- I think this is actually a great moment to, to like switch into our, the final question that I always uh, yeah. ask everyone, which is, I know it. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was thinking about the answer before and I was like, oh, I don't want it to be rehearsed. Yeah. Which is for you to shout out a queero. So a person, place or thing that made you feel that you can be who you are today. Would you mm. like to shout out a queero? So my answer is always Wilson Cruz as Ricky in my, oh my so-called God. life. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, it, it's like, I say it all the time when I'm asked this question and it never like loses its truth. Yeah. I was trying to think about someone else, but like he is so present in my mind as like, yeah, there was something about him. Did you watch my so-called life like on TV or on the, uh, on the, on the DVD? Oh my God. So I watched it like, cause it was on like ABC, I think. Yeah. And then it was on MTV. Like there, so it was, it like did did its season on ABC, which I watched. And then it was on MTV, which I also watched. And then um, I loved it. My sister was in high school at the time, and I tried to get her to watch it with me. And she said, my sister was very cool in high school. She said, she said, this is not what high school is really like. So I would just watch it by myself. And I, I loved it. And a couple years ago, um, I maybe this is even more than a couple at this point, but I got to do stand up at a they were introducing all of these new Fox shows at the Fox uh-huh. lot. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. up front, which is the weirdest possible way place you could ever be. It, I was performing at, on an outdoor set that's supposed to look like New York, but uh-huh. also in Los Angeles <laughs> for like people that were agents. Industry. Like nobody yeah. gives a mm-hmm. fuck about what I'm saying. And airplanes were flying low overhead because this is where the, studio is so just like every detail was like was like chef's kiss you know Mm. but 
the stars of these shows, like Taraji P. Henson was there. And who else was there that was just like cool to perform in front of? Because the actors are sitting in like the front rows. But the number one person that I couldn't believe I got to do stand up for. And then I also talked about that, that he was there was Wilson Cruz. Wilson Cruz oh. was so nice. And it was so because it's like one thing to meet somebody, but to yeah. have somebody that was so important to you like that. Yeah. Get a chance to see like I got he had a chance to see what I did, even in this setting where like it was a nightmare. <laughs> And you're like, you you imprinted on my mind. Yeah. Like, yes. it, you're, you, before we had been jaded, potentially, by this industry, when you're like, yeah, everyone's famous and everyone's not famous. You know, like, it's not even about fame. It's just like, y- your essence is literally tattooed on my heart. You know, wow. like, I will never forget the feeling that I had watching Ricky in my so-called life. Oh my it was God. just, yeah. I have goosebumps, actually. Oh my, oh, it's wow. its true. Um, because there's a beautiful Christmas episode. With the teacher. Well, and also with, it's like, what's her name? It's that, it's the, Ricky's like in a shelter for a period of time and. And then goes to live with the teacher, if yes, I'm remembering. Yes, yeah. but there is, I cannot remember who is the musician. There's a, like a famous musician that is a, well, this is a spoiler, but that's an angel. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Where people oh, are angels. There was an angel. I forgot about that storyline. The only thing that I remember from that is him showing up at the teacher's home and the teacher opening up the door. God. And I was like, yeah, shivers, chills. Yeah. You're younger than me. Wow. How did you watch this show? Did you watch it on DVD? Yeah, I. my mom was a big fan. So that, that makes me sound like I'm like 17 years old. No, no, no. But my it just yeah. wouldn't have been on TV when you would have been watching it live. No, I I would not be allowed to right. watch it. Um. So I so so my mom, uh, was a big fan of my so called life, and you know, I I think I was like literally in kindergarten, first grade, second grade when it came out, and I remember like you don't know I didn't I'll speak for myself I didn't know the term so called so I was like what is the word so-called? Like, uh, my so-called, like, okay, that was a word to me. And it was this adult show that she watched and I couldn't watch it with her. And I'm an only child. So it's like, okay, if I'm not being included in something, it's war, you know, like I'm going (laughs) to revolt. And so that happened. And then when I was in high school, this was like the era of TV on DVD, which like, I think like really predated binge watching because that's when you're like, okay, put the next disc in, put the next disc in. And I got her for Christmas one year, my so-called life, the box set, the complete series. And over Christmas, we watched the entire series together. And I was like, <laughs> it's like, it it just came into my life at a time when I needed it most. And mm-hmm. and also a little before I was ready to implement it. You know, like, mm-hmm. I wasn't at all ready to come out. But I was like, okay, filing Ricky and my so-called life to the back of my head to know that he exists. So, <sighs> yeah. Can I ask who your queero is? Like, or or I you probably have many. Just like one big imprint for you. Oh my god! Well, in media, like, because that's where my yeah. mind just went. Because we're talking about media. Yeah. My it's um, Mary Stuart Masterson in Fried Green Tomato Tomatoes. Oh, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is not um, weirdly <laughs> is like is is queered. Like their relationship is totally queered. It's it's. But um, is like coded. It's like queer coded. What a strange thing. But when I saw that movie when I was a young person, it's what yeah. you're describing. It's the first time that because they show that character as a child and mm-hmm. that child felt like me as a child. And then mm. there's an adult relationship that is with another woman that's that's domestic, like they live together and they're mm. like having an experience of domesticity together. And definitely that like blew my mind. I had no, mm. even though it's like not overtly no, you know, stated. You know the codes. You know, yeah, and, you pick up um, the codes. But yeah, I mean, and also that I think something else that's a little wild is like 
Mary Stuart Masterson is not an out, you know, she's not a queer person. So mm. it's interesting to have had the experience that you're talking about. And, and it gets to be Wilson Cruz who like is this, you know, fantastic queer person. Mm. And it's, it's complicated when it's then like just a yeah. straight woman. <laughs> but in terms yeah. of like the first time I ever saw myself, um, that is the moment that I saw myself for the first time. Yeah. Wow. Fried green tomatoes. Yeah. Mary Stuart Masterson. So good. Um, Queer coded domesticity. Oh my God. It's beautiful. They're beautiful together. Plus they kill a man. You know, it's like, it's just, it really gives you, it gets, gives you some context for what um, an adult lesbian relationship is going to be like, which is that like, you're going to kill, somebody's going to have an ex-husband that you kill and you, and, and then people eat that yeah, body just, and that's part of it and it's just it's murder it's yeah. part of it <laughs> but yeah. um i want to send you back into your day and tell you that i i thank you so much for the way you showed up for this conversation today i loved talking to you and i just Me too. um let's just be actual friends i'm ready i would absolutely love that i feel ready okay yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. awesome. i wasn't ready before i'm finally ready <laughs> i'm now. ready i'm ready and yeah, the book, I'm ready. Okay. just to say again, is called Conversations with People Who Hate Me. And um, I think anybody who likes this show would be fascinated by everything that you talk about in it. And um, and I like got through it in a day because I was I was very curious to see what your experiences had been. So thank you so much for writing it. Thank you for saying that amazing thing. I'm going to remember that for the rest of a long time. <laughs> <laughs> 